Welcome to the grant, the EU funding podcast. The grant. My name is Nils Tullabinder, and I am the creator, editor, and host of the grant. The Grant is an independent, non-commercial podcast initiative with the ambition to dig into all corners of the EU R&D funding system on topics of interest for the full EU R&D funding community. I have an endless amount of contacts from my many years working within this field, and they all have interesting things to share. One of my dear old contacts is Blas Likosav from the National Research Institute for Chemistry in Slovenia. I dragged him into several of my proposals in the past and he became a much appreciated contact of mine. Of course, I have invited him into the grant to share how they work with EU funding in their institute. Why? Because this organization has managed to professionally build up their EU funding approach and pushing themselves into the EU R&D networks, doing exactly what many research organizations in the former communist countries are striving for. We have a talk about how they have built up their approach and how the EU funding has lifted their research level capacities and manpower. This episode offers nice insights on how to build up EU funding capacities in your research organization with a limited amount of resources. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Grand, the EU funding podcast. When you have been doing a lot of proposals uh, throughout the years, and when you have been working within this sector, you, of course, pick up a lot of contacts. And the guest I have today, it's, uh, it's one that I worked on on several occasions for several proposals. Um, and we'll, we'll get back to that, but Blas, welcome. Thank you, Nils. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to have you in because I reached out to you for probably a year ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like this. It's uh, and you are a busy man, uh, and uh, it's just like this uh, with many of my guests, busy people, to to fit it in. But uh, the most important thing is that it uh, that it happens. Blas, uh, can you shortly uh, present yourself? Yes, gladly, Nils. Thank you. So, uh, my name is Blas Likozar. I'm here the head of the Department of Catalysis and Chemical Reaction Engineering at the National Institute of Chemistry in Slovenia, which is the second largest institute in Slovenia. Slovenia itself being rather small, this means that the institute should cover a broad spectrum of topics, are specifically being related to chemical engineering in its broadest sense. Um, well, what we do here is uh, CO2, hydrogen, ammonia, biomass, and other things related uh, research. And uh, in this regard, we are um, also, of course, uh, looking for the opportunities to cooperate in terms of uh, consortium-type projects. And this is also what helps us to uh, maintain the group that we have that's now of about 80 people already. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a second when we talk about the strategy. So today's topic, we're going to talk about chemical research and EU funding. So we're going to zoom a little bit in on your institute. Now, I've had 
have already had uh, some research institutes and public you know, like project proposal offices from universities on board. So we're going to divert a little bit, talk about research tracks, but I also think maybe we should talk a little bit about the heritage of of Eastern Europe, uh, of of you know, like communist, post communism, uh, like the academic sphere, and so on. But we'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. Blas, uh, your own experience on EU funding? Well, you know, mostly positive or very positive uh, in this regard. So uh, indeed, we started dealing with it within the, at least me personally, within the Horizon 2020 program. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, I've heard of it before, but, you know, Horizon 2020 was really hands-on. And, uh, you know, it's it's still continuing in the the next program, Horizon Europe. And, uh, yeah, I mean... As mentioned, most of it or almost all of it is, is strictly positive, but truth be told, uh, it, it is uh, and it was the case that we, we tried to learn from the West uh, in all aspects, meaning that, uh, and as you've mentioned, we'll probably come back to that, we tried to see which things we are not doing uh, okay uh, in terms of not being successful and then uh, try to go beyond that and, for example, go side by side with uh, successful uh, institutions from the Netherlands, Belgium, and so on. Yeah. Let's just move into the topic and uh, have a short fly-in intro to uh, the department of uh, catalysis and chemical reaction engineers. You already said a little bit, but uh, just a few more words. Yeah, so uh, thank you indeed from, let's say, when when we started off uh, as, as, as a group, which I joined in 2011, the department was, uh, let's say, rather uh, modest or, or not so substantial with regard to, let's say, the, the, the staff, but also, on the other hand, the topic. So it was it was mostly dealing with what was fashionable maybe some some time ago. So uh, water pure catalytic water purification. Mm. But then uh, when when we so me and my colleagues started to assessing the, the let's say the research landscape changing uh, with regard to chemical engineering, we pinpointed you know topics related to. Uh, uh, what today is, you know, goes without saying. So defossilization, renewable energy, uh, uh, alternative feedstocks, uh, circular economy, and and this is basically where we placed the the the, the most important pillars of research. First, fundamental, and they're more and more applied uh, through also uh, Horizon program. So the department itself, I mean, it's chemical engineering in its purest forms, meaning that we are designing, uh, uh, constructing, and then implementing various uh, reactor separation unit operation prototypes. We do a modeling at various scales. Uh, we synthesize materials. Uh, and um, yeah, that, that's it in short. And we tried to keep up with the, the topics that I've mentioned before. So mm-hmm. CO2-related issues, hydrogen, biomass, and so on. Which is at the core of, of the, the green transition. Yes. Uh, more or less. We will focus on the, on, on the funding side and the, how you 
of working with it in your institute. So first we'll look a little bit at the strategy because I know, so there's some, some, uh, some background from my side. Now I've known Ivich Ilic, uh, Ilich, is that his name? Yes, he's the head of the project management office. Him I have known for a very long time. I uh, connected with him at a brokerage event many, many years ago, and uh, I stayed in contact with him. This is why we know each other, Blas, because uh, he was in my contact list of, of strong contacts. He's been very active early on, back then when I met him. And my impression was that it was very organized. I remember he had a a full overview of your capacities within different calls mm-hmm. um, and an overview of running uh, projects. Uh, so your experience in the in the Institute, which was extremely easy for me to, to tap into as a facilitator on my behalf for my stakeholders. Uh, so it was like going into a shop. <laughs> I could look through and so... So that's what that's 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 why I know that you're quite organized with this. But do you have do you know yourself how when you started to kick off the focusing more on EU funding? Um, yeah, I mean, to some extent, it was taking some of the burden from our project management office. So you know, for example, we started to go to the brokerage events uh, ourselves. Hmm. We started to look for high quality partners, the ones that were kind of complementary to what we did. And uh, it was a kind of uh, snowballing effect over the years, meaning that, you know, the network expanded. Some of the industrial partners that were in consortia then uh, cooperated with us uh, directly or vice versa. Some of the industrial partners with which we cooperate, uh, we, in- we try to integrate it within the consortia. We have uh, long-lasting fundamental research also beyond Horizon uh, with some of the partners that we've actually met within the program. So it's like, a, I would say, at least in my opinion, it's like a study case uh, that, that, uh, that we did there. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we really enjoy it in a way. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so the motivation, it's pro- my best guess is it's like, like most. Uh, you have uh, some... You get some uh, from. Are you, do you get from the government, Slovenian government, some uh, some funding for? Uh... Uh, yes, yes, we do. We have uh, various uh, funding streams here nationally. Uh, I would say that they are, you know, quite. Um, um, I would say adequate or or substantial. So it's it's it's. I think the stable program funding, which has a, a turnaround of about five to ten years. Uh, has uh, about seven <coughs> seven full timers, and then uh, uh, there's uh, competitive projects uh, which uh, have a reasonably uh, high success rate, and others. But but of course uh, it takes care of about maybe a third of the department staff. So the rest is, uh, for example, as you mentioned, uh, European projects. Now where I want to go with this is that. Uh, Probably you realized uh, back then that it would be to grow the institute. External funding from Europe would be uh, important. Uh, for sure, it would be 
it, that, that would be one. So one motivation was for sure to, to grow. The other one was, as mentioned before, to learn. So mm -hmm. to not, not just uh, considering the acquisition of, of projects, but rather also, uh, you know, more contact uh, time, uh, ah. uh, seeing the facilities, seeing what people do, yeah. uh, sharing the ideas. I mean, you know, some things might sound corny a bit, but uh, that, that's indeed the case. And uh, of course, also to to steer the the fields of research a bit and yeah. to align, yeah, yeah. Com complementarity basically. Yeah. Uh, so, how structured are you with it? Do you have a concrete strategy put down into a document on how to work with work with this or some principles or? Um, no, I, I would say not, not, not really. I mean, there are some things that that we would tend to do, like, for example, uh, doing follow-ups with the partners with which we cooperate more intensively. Um, but, but otherwise, I mean, um, maybe the whole COVID changed the la landscape of uh, these uh, in-person brokerages also a bit. So we do tend to attend those, but a bit less than it was before. Mm -hmm. But but that that's basically it. I would say you know just uh, maintaining the network and the, the the partners with which we cooperate really well uh, to to continue cooperating with them at this point. Do you have a project office? Uh, yeah, I mean at the institute level we do. At the department level we don't. Okay. Yeah. So how many people sit at the at the department level in project office? Well, at the department level, there's nobody in particular dealing with just projects. I mean, we have okay. we have maybe two persons dealing with the actual implementation, meaning you know just the administration of it uh, okay. altogether. But but otherwise, for the for the you know we have a centralized administration. So for I don't know you know mundane things like timesheets or financial reporting, this is the institute level. Mm -hmm. But there, then there's things that you know aren't uh, dealt with centralized uh, wise, and this uh, we have to uh, deal with at the department. So I would say two two persons. Yeah. Okay. And that so but they don't help with the with the with the pre award phase or. No, with the pre-award phase, it's mostly researchers themselves or ourselves dealing with that. Yeah. So, uh, and this means everything from contacting, bid writing, uh, um, well, you know, everything. How does that work? Well, well, I would say. <laughs> yeah, because it's often you would have uh, universities, they have support uh, people that, especially for, for, for younger uh, researchers to to sort of, train them a little bit and you know like not to 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 tap into the resources of the of the more experienced uh, researchers within this process so so you so it works so so you sort of have incorporated in your workflow yeah i mean i think it's uh, it it came kind of organic or or natural so yes uh, definitely we do uh, uh, pass this knowledge onward to younger researchers especially those that you know Uh, tend to be more uh, interested in doing something like that, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, we we do a kind of tutoring or mentorship, but it's informal, so we don't have anything established. If if an opportunity uh, arises, typically, you know, there would be a discussion uh, on uh, on you know uh, forming an, an ad hoc team to to address that, and that's basically it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. I'm curious because it's uh, it's I know how busy you are 
And maybe that's why you're actually so busy, plus because <laughs> it's a kind of you know self-organizing structure, I would say. So just you know, uh, people you know people organize themselves, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And so, do you have um, do you try internally in the institute to to sort of have some sort of of uh, body uh, system or some where you with the younger researchers they where you teach them a little bit where so they can lean a little bit up against guys like you <laughs> uh yeah i mean at the institute level there's various instruments uh for doing that i mean uh we i, I think that you know uh, when put side by side i think we take care of it Uh, predominantly internally, but you would have instruments such as, uh, especially for example, ERC training, where where uh, people would be taught how to approach the ERC proposals, how to uh, uh, you know go about interviews and so on. Mm-hmm. And and you know there's a lot of workshops for European proposals in general, but you know. Typically, the, the the good old solid, you know, hands-on practice is the one that uh, is most fruitful. Uh-uh. Then you have the network. So, well, I know that Ivica, uh, he was uh, he was running around in brokerage events. Do you also do that yourself? Your researchers there. Do you do these kind of things? Yeah, uh, as, as noted, I mean, we we definitely do. Uh, uh, if I would compare the pre-COVID and period with now i would say that we attend more online brokerages and and less in person just you know for the sake of uh, uh, you know wor- workload i would say i understand but so, some things are always better sorted out in person so yeah we de- we definitely also do that but uh, uh, the project management office is the one that you know does that more uh, like brute force type approach that they go to a lot of the brokerages Uh, now I want to touch a little bit upon uh, legacy because you are residing in Slovenia, mm-hmm. and to to any one of our age and, and old, <laughs> there there used to be a uh, there used to be an iron wall through the continent, and on mm-hmm. the on the side where you are there was a planned economy. And there was a system of of uh, how was it called Academy of Sciences or something like this, right? Mm-hmm. This structure, which was quite rigid as far as uh, as the research I did, because this is what I started mm-hmm. when I was studying myself back in in the days in university. Now, and this structure, it's actually what more or less well in short the widening measures for instance that the commission yeah. has made in relation to to getting more eastern european and southern european uh, beneficiaries into the funding schemes it's basically trying to dis- to 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 breaking this up what i wanted to say with it the way that you do think it's quite modern it's quite it's what i would hear that you would do in in western europe so it sort of broke uh, out of of uh, of a of a format or a framework that many other research organizations in Eastern Europe maybe struggle a little bit with. But can you share a little bit if it's something that you are you aware about uh, in your approach? There? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I would say you're absolutely correct about the the state of things. Um, you know, maybe yeah, there is there is quite some I would say modernization going about also. Uh, elsewhere, but it, it was definitely an, an issue, perhaps a bit less in Slovenia than, than elsewhere. 
but uh, uh, in general, if, if you take the, the Eastern Europe as a kind of, uh, and, and we do cooperate with uh, Eastern and Southern Europe a lot, there are some challenges there exactly in terms of uh, kicking off some uh, more um, competitive practices in some, in, mm-hmm. so, yeah. So in, in our case, it was kind of spontaneous. And uh, as mentioned, you know, there was some, uh, uh, let's say, history of participation in FP5 to FP7 programs, mm-hmm. <coughs> but this was really modest. But, you know, everybody knew that there was this guy at the Institute who did European projects, and it was mm-hmm. maybe one out of 100, and he could tell you something about it, you know, like a wise man. Um, so, um, yeah, but I, I see nowadays, I mean, it's it's quite a lot of that. So there's a lot of uh, um, programs, a lot of activities to teach people, to make them competitive. Uh, and I don't think just in Slovenia, also elsewhere, for example, Czech Republic or Poland, I've been quite impressed with some of the activities that are underway there. But in, in some instances, you will still see uh, let's say a uh, kind of average type research, either fundamental or applied, not being uh, stimulated to expand or grow in terms of quality or quantity. So, yeah. Yeah, this this is all like most people in the research world, they know it, it, the research world quite a conservative one. Uh, also, when it comes to the networks you use, the context you have, so and it has been it has been an issue that the the academic circles of northwestern Europe has been quite closed, and then there's probably also an element of prejudice about the capacities of of eastern European uh, research you know, like, uh, research entities which is unfounded because they're very, very strong. And this is one of the things that the communist countries, they actually put a lot of of, of, of funding into the, the research world. But the practices there are very different from Western Europe. And they, I think that might be one of the things that has also put a little bit of a cleavage in between the two, no? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a kind of vicious circle, I mean, if, if you think about it. So, I mean, even, you know, if you have somebody that's, that's or let's say a group that's quite good and they don't have uh, the access to, let's say, uh, uh, superb equipment or, or, you know, they do, do not tap the into the funds that, that somebody from the West might, you know, you know, it's, it's you know, I would say the, the publications are not as, you know, at least, you know, in the way we rank them uh, momentarily mm-hmm. are not as, as, as good as, for example, some other ones from uh, Western Europe or Central Europe. And, you know, this this then, you know, kind of uh, uh, yields replication. So it's more difficult to get projects and so on. So, um, but but I think that, as you've mentioned before, with, with, with widening, for example, that there are some instruments that allow you to, at least, you know, kick off your uh, uh, group building. And then, of course, if you're lucky, if you're competent, probably both of these, uh, you know, you you kind of get the opportunity to, to um, grow. And, of course, the possibilities are a bit, you know, sometimes are, are more limited than, than somewhere in the, the Western Europe. But on the other hand, you know, some there are also some advantages, such as, for example, for 
ERC is a typical example because it's a kind of lump, lump sum type approach. I mean, you can hire more people in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, simply a matter of, I think a lot of it is about breaking down the network. Yeah, So getting the food in and starting to, and then persistently like you've been doing yes. uh, in your organization, just, you know, I get out to those brokerage events, you know, I can get into food into those networks because when, when they see that the work is professional, and well done, you know, then then you are hooked up. Then they will contact you also next time. Yeah. That, that it's not different. No, just wanted to touch upon this because it's quite an interesting, it, it affects some things. This is also for people to understand why the commission has has uh, made the initiative a widening yeah, to, um, yeah. to sort of support this. It's been very difficult, something that been has been talked about for decades now. You know, how, how can we get them more active in Eastern Europe? No. Plus, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your research, your research tracks, and what, uh, which one of, of which areas you have benefited most from Horizon Europe and EU funding. Um, so, can you share a little bit? So, we did we did on hydrogen storage. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but can you share a little bit? Give us an idea of what the, what actually has where you have benefited the most, and and, and how it has helped you. Well, definitely, I, I would say that, you know, uh, um, let's say low carbon economy, meaning, you know, hydrogen, ammonia, e-fuels, um, um, you know, renewables, um, methanol, and, and everything that uh, entails catalysis in some regard, which is, you know, most of the processes in chemistry, is definitely something that... Uh, I would I would mention as as the the front runner here, and I would say the 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 biggest benefit of this was as as we've been aligning the 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 research so also the fundamental research that we had here, with uh, with this let's say more applicative higher TRLs, and uh, and that was a kind of content related alignment that was that was spearheaded, and then also a kind of more logistic type alignment considering the TRLs because you know for for uh, in, an increasing amount of calls higher TRLs are actually like a prerequisite so you need to have something that's not really fundamental it's not really proof of concept but rather you know you have something that can produce some tangible quantities and yeah i mean indeed any, anything to do with the green transition is something that uh, that that has the most alignment with regard to our fundamental research and then also Horizon program. And so, what? So, can you maybe share a little bit about where where you really, you know, like took took some leaps by using EU funding, you know, like being involved, where it really made a difference? Yeah, sure. I mean, definitely, uh, uh, CO two capture and usage was was I think probably the first. Uh, that was our first uh, substantial project called MEF-CO2 uh, and it dealt with uh, capturing CO2 at that point. I mean, nowadays this is a bit uh, outdated, but at that point was capturing the CO2 from a thermal power plant and then uh, converting it to methanol with hydrogen and kind of surplus electricity coming from the grid. This was implemented actually at the second largest thermal power plant uh, near uh, near Cologne. Yeah. 
uh, and and then this whole CO2 stories uh, kicked off and continued. So that for us was a kind of first wave, and it still continues. I mean, we still do a lot of uh, CO2 related stuff, and then. The second was, was uh, I guess, uh, things having to do something with hydrogen and ammonia. I mean, also, for example, CO2 conversion to methanol needs hydrogen. But then again, you know, if you're doing uh, ammonia synthesis, you don't need carbon directly. Typically, you just have a bit, it, a bit of it integrated in your overall carbon uh, footprint, which is uh, generally unavoidable. So I would say chemical synthesis in the first wave related to CO2 and now more and more to uh, exclusively hydrogen and, and ammonia. So let's say non-carbon cycle. Yeah. What are the circular economy elements are you working with? Uh, quite some of them. So I've, I've mentioned many of them when, when uh, going through what we do at the department. Mm -hmm. But for example, some are, are simple chemicals, which through kind of sectoral coupling also touch upon the energy sector. So yeah. this is the mentioned one, hydrogen, ammonia, CO2, methanol. So let's say simple, simple molecules and bulk chemistries. Then, of course, there's uh, 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 polymers or the new polymer, new plastics economy, as it's called. And here what we do is looking into the bio-based stories, so bio-based ah. materials and chemicals. But nowadays, bio-based is not enough. It has to be also circular, circular meaning ah. recyc recyclable by design. And in recent years, we have quite some projects on a paradigm called uh, SSBD. It's called safe and sustainable by design. Yeah. And, it, it, and it means that you're basically integrating the paramount sustainability, but not just sustainability. Also, for example, toxicity elements in designing the materials themselves. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, will be different over the value chains, but it is something that's becoming important for chemical industry, for other sectors as well. And uh, yeah, that, that I would say so, uh, biorefining, bioeconomy and new plastics economy are also quite important fields. Uh, the last one being a big thing, huh? uh, because, you know, like exchanging of plastics into bioplastic stuff like this, that's, uh, that's really where you can, you know, like use your capacities, I guess. Yeah. Let me remind you, because we've been involved in different proposals together, one of them got funding, <laughs> and you're still rolling that, the high strip. Uh, mm -hmm. But before, you know, let's just move into the concrete projects. So so the high strip, mm -hmm. um, how's that going? Well, quite well, I would say. So uh, that's uh, the project which kind of very concretely deals with various, let's say, challenges of decentralized ammonia. You know, nowadays, I mean, 3% of uh, world's energy demand is churned up by, by ammonia synthesis. And uh, I mean, if you look at ammonia as also a carrier for hydrogen, you need to do something about shifting the paradigm of uh, ammonia as it is produced right now. And this means that you need to, uh, you know, uh, make the operating conditions milder, you need to do scale down actually instead of scale up. And this means that, you know, you need new materials, you need new type of process operations. For example, you need process intensification by 
by trying to avoid uh, ammonia recycling loop as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, none of these processes are actually like commercialized, but the TRLs are increasing gradually over the years because, you know, there's not that many things that we can do as, as a, an economy or as a society uh, uh, because we're, you know, limited by <laughs> the thermodynamics typically and by economics on the other hand. So, you know, how much money we actually have to invest and there's a limited number of things that we can do. Yeah. And, yeah. And hydrogen is, uh, of course, one of the big, big, uh, big things coming in the horizon, hopefully, uh, because it's extremely sustainable, but it's very high energy uh, intensive to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And this uh, is also costly. That's that's the most. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But what uh, can you shortly explain uh, in, you know, in a nutshell, the project, what it is about? You mean Hystrom? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here, uh, as mentioned, the core idea is to make ammonia synthesis decentralized, which means that uh, you can go about this by uh, uh, doing a kind of intensified processing, meaning that you are, uh, uh, let's say, removing the need to have extremely well thermally integrated process. Meaning that, for example, you look at the things that are uh, complex, for example, high temperature of operation, high pressure of operation, in extreme thermal integration of, of various processes. And then, of course, this drags everything along. So instead of a recycling reactor, you have multi-multitube reactors, uh, which uh, kind of operate semi-continuously. Instead of having just catalytic beds, you have a catalyst with sorbents. Uh, the, the, instead of having a reactor powered up by a, a natural gas furnace, uh, the idea is to have uh, uh, the electrification and generally the electrification of chemical industry is quite uh, relevant today. Mm. And and of course, uh, they call it, uh, as, as uh, is very known, the twin transition, so digitalization. Mm. So uh, these processes are inherently dynamic, which means that you need to, you know, tame these dynamics. And this means that you need to predict, simulate, and then also optimize the processes and materials at various scales. Yeah. And so this this consortium, it's quite mm -hmm. cool. It's quite cool, no? Yeah. As far as I remember, I managed to facilitate Tusen Group into that. Yes, they're a partner, uh, indeed. Casale, which is also a big player yes. in this area. Uh, and Johnson Matt? Yes, as a catalyst provider, yeah. yeah. So typically, I mean, as, as the more you have your, uh, let's say, supply and value chain covered, the, uh, I mean, you know, it's better, of course, for the, the uh, success rate of the proposal because, you know, there is a validity behind what you're trying to showcase. And the second thing is that, you know, there's also more, uh, you know, the results are typically better because, you know, these guys will... We'll steer you in a way with regard to, you know, things that are worth investigating, things yeah. that, and, and of course, some would have no uh, no economical future. Yeah, and, and I remember very well that Johnson Matty is extreme, was extremely focused on saying we only go where we know that it's uh, it's following our uh, our business strategy here innovation strategy that it's it's a private company it's like this you know but uh, it's it's absolutely perf uh, perfectly correct that uh, that they they do have this focus but i guess that's what made them big <laughs> 
Uh, other projects uh, that you're proud of that you uh, stepped into and uh, anything else you want to mention here? Well, I mean, definitely MFCO2, which was one of the our, our, our first and, and biggest projects. So, uh, um, you know, that, that's what that, that, that one was definitely a game changer for the, uh, for the department, uh, not, not just me. And, uh, nowadays we have, uh, some where we are cooperating with industrial partners with which we also co- cooperate directly. Uh, for example, uh, Ecoduct with Total Energies. Yeah. Yeah. Now we we don't have more in the rundown, but has this all this work that you're doing with EU funding has that given you good also maybe bilateral collaborations with industry? So sy- synergy things that you know, like a spin-off. Well, I mean definitely yes. I mean because you know uh, that gives you an opportunity to you know, show or, or, you know, validate yourself as a reliable partner at like little to, to, to no cost to industry. That's, that's always a good, you know, test bed for industry to see how you work. And then, I mean, if they're satisfied, they're also prepared to put some money into you in, in this regard. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yes, so, so definitely uh, it's, it's, it is beneficial. It does more good than harm. Yeah. Um, and and staying a little bit on that line, did you manage? Did you manage to grow uh, in you know like per, persons, uh, employees in the institute due to your engagement and 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 focus on EFON? Yes, of course. I mean, and and not not just modestly so, but substantially. So, for example, EU funding is now procuring maybe for a third to uh, to a half of the department for sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a big uh, it's a big help and it's a big uh, replicator. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess and that's always what I, you know that's a discourse of 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 mine, but it's a discourse that everybody discovers when they actually tap into this is that the more you do this, the easier it is. <laughs> so it's the first years that can be a little rough, but, uh, but when you, when you start to be, have been through projects where you're invited again and so on, then it starts to, to be a little less rough uh, to get into the right winning projects. No. Yeah, I like how you said little less rough. <laughs> yeah, it's always rough. <laughs> yeah, because it's also what I what I didn't I didn't finish a sentence, but the way we know each other, that's what I, what I wanted to finish off with your collaboration with with consultancy companies. So we know each other because I was working for a consultancy company, and you were understanding very well uh, the business model that I was uh, running with when I connected with you. Mm-hmm where we would uh, basically say, look, if you come with the idea, then uh, then uh, there's only a success fee. Uh, so you don't have to have a down payment. And then we do it together. You know, that's that that's your payment. And the rest will each pay a fee also. So that business model was fitting perfectly with you. And this is why we sort of got a collaboration going. But do you, what else, do, how else do you work with, with private consultancy companies, do you have have uh, ones that you once in a while uh, engage with? Or how does it work for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's again like the the proposals all over the spectrum. So uh, 
you know, typically it's, it's, it's always an individual decision that you make uh, based on the offer that you get. But, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, a market economy, meaning that, you know, the, the consultancies or the partners that are better will typically also require or demand more, which means that either, uh, you know, uh, direct payment and or then mm -hmm. success, success fee. But, you know, it, it's always, uh, you know, it, it's a trade-off. So you, so you have to decide because sometimes... You know, if if you don't, um, you know, pay for something, then you know you all also cannot have it. I mean, so so sometimes yeah. it is it is a high quality service. So it's uh, I would say a matter of experience and kind of personal judgment with regard to whether the offer is uh, good enough. But yeah. you know, in most in most cases, it, it works well. I would say so. It's it's a reasonable business model. Yeah. Uh, you also know very well, Blas, that uh, that you have. For some calls, calls, especially specific calls within chemistry, ch chemical industry here, it's quite narrow. Uh, the the Highstrom that call that was quite narrow, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there you don't have that many consortia uh, approaching it. And then within the sector, you will know who you need to be together with. And if you realize then that the, the guys that you need to be with, they are running with a consultant, well, I guess from your side, you would you would say, okay, uh, that's that's the place to be. So we'll need to dig a little bit into our pockets. For sure. I wouldn't think twice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because you know that it's likely to go home and... Uh, yes. No, Blas, I promise you it to be short. We don't have to talk much longer. It's uh, Thanks for uh, for sharing a little bit how you work with these things. Now, yeah. I uh, I have my segment that I always have, toughest, the toughest challenge. So um, the toughest challenge for you and your team to work with uh, with EU funding, what's that? Oh. Time, time, time resource. Well, yes, for sure. But I think that the challenges will change over time. It depends. So sometimes the challenges are uh, getting the project. Sometimes the challenges will be maintaining the stream of projects. And sometimes the challenges would be, you know, once you have the projects, how, how to actually manage them. So it's, it's I would say it, it varies over time. And I've been through all these cycles that <laughs> I have noted now. Yeah, it's um, it's it's both you and me. We know that you know we know how this. <laughs> that it's you have some rough parts, but and sometimes it shifts. So yeah, but it's uh, I guess maybe you were there when you sort of started it off, huh? with more focus on your funding. Yeah, I mean uh, for, for sure. I mean this is uh, yeah. The beginning is always rough. Yes, it is. Right, Blas, um, that's it. Um, I'm just going to wrap up the the episode and then before we say goodbye to the listeners. So, dear, dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to the end. I hope you enjoyed this rather shorter episode uh, of the grant on uh, with focus on, on chemistry research and EU funding. Go and check the rest of my episodes on thegrant.eu. There's a good, solid back catalog now at my uh, at my site. So there should be something for your interest. And while you're in there, don't forget to subscribe to the email list. This is this spells currency in the podcast world. So please, by all means, if you have any sympathy with what I'm doing, uh, subscribe to that. 
And finally, if you want to get on the train, on the Grand Train, then connect with me on LinkedIn. This is where the fun happens. This is where the flow goes uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, where I share stuff, like stuff, and comment on all you guys out there, uh, the things that you share, tapping into what's going on in the EU funding world. So that's that. Plus, uh, again, thanks. Thank you. And uh, we'll stay in touch. But let's say goodbye to the dear listeners. Bye. Bye.